Uh, this is our, our third week in our posture series. We've spent the first two weeks uh, moving into this discussion and conversation about uh, our posture towards the LGBTQ plus community and how we as a congregation can be alongside people and uh, listening to stories and learning how to love. And uh, we spent a few weeks doing this. And, and in your uh, pew there, in the seat back in front of you, there's a little talking points card kind of summarizing the first two Sundays in this conversation. This is a six-week conversation. So if you miss a week, I just want to encourage you to go back and watch or, or grab one of these talking points cards just to bring you up to speed uh, because we're, we're working on a long conversation here together. Uh, week one, we've really focused in on, on how Jesus welcomes and engaged everyone that he encountered, uh, especially those who are outcasts in his culture, those in the cultural minority. Uh, and we want to be like Jesus. So we want to do what he did. Most people outside of church in America here, when they think about those in the church, when they think about Christianity, the survey we talked about on week one, uh, they believe that Christianity is anti-gay, that we are against people. And so we want to work on our posture and we want to address um, that perception. And the first way we can work on our posture is by being willing to listen to people's stories by sitting and asking questions and understanding the experiences that those around us, uh, family members, even ourselves have had, and to hear those stories together and to listen to uh, those who are walking in maybe a different way than you do, but in a way that God uh, values them and has made them in his image, and we need to listen to their stories. And then last week, we talked about the second way that we can adjust our posture, and that's by understanding vocabulary. Uh, words have power, and what we say and how we say it matters. And so even though it, it may be uncomfortable or stretching for some of us, it's a, it's a good idea for us to grow in our understanding of the language that our culture is using and avoid terms that might sound judgmental or, or hurtful. We talked last week about the two disciples that wanted to call down fire on this other people group and how sometimes our words sound like we're calling down fire and that Jesus invites us to adjust our posture. We, we struggle in these things. We struggle in our posture towards others uh, because of something called sin, something that all of us carry around, this, this idea of pushing away from God. Anything that we do or say or think that hurts others or hurts ourselves. Sin is anything that pushes us away from the life that God created us for, the way of life that Jesus invites us to walk in. We, we all sin. And maybe it's good just to remind us of that this morning. Maybe you could say that with me. We all sin. Say that with me. We all sin. We, we push away from the life that God created us for. The last song we sang before Kathy came up was, Oh, Come to the Altar. And there's a little phrase in that song. It says, Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. And I want to challenge that a little bit and say that sin is not simply regrets and mistakes. Sin is often uh, the act of choice of our will with the full knowledge of our minds and our hearts about what we're doing. That there's a way God invites us to walk and we aim at something else and we miss the mark that God has called us to. When I was a, a kid, I used to play a board game with my brother um, called uh, Warriors and Weapons and, and it was a, a, like a plastic castle set and we would set up our two castles and, and using these little weapons that were powered by rubber bands, we would hurl little uh, red cannonballs at each other and our soldiers and try to destroy the other castle of the enemy and, and knock out their soldiers. And uh, years later, I found a version of it at a garage sale, so I bought it, and I had to show it to you guys, just so you know, this is a real thing. 
I'm pretty excited about it. So my brother and I used to play this as we were kids, and then I found it, and now I played it with my kids as well. And uh, it's really a, a fun game if you like to destroy things, which I'm in there. I'm in there. So I got so good at this game that I could kind of hit anything I wanted to with these little cannonballs. I would always be able to knock out my brother's soldiers or his targets. And every so often, when I was bored playing the game, I would accidentally hit my brother with a cannonball, you know? I'd be like, whoa, sorry, Steve, that one got away from me. How's your eye? Sorry about that. You know, whoops, whoopsies, didn't mean to do that. In the Bible, there is a lot of different words for this idea of sin, a lot of different words used to capture uh, the problem of sin in our world today. But the most popular Greek word and Hebrew word in the Bible uh, carries with it this idea of missing the mark, that there's a target we should be shooting towards and we're, we're missing the target. And even more, it, it means like we're, we're shooting at the wrong targets. Like we, we know the right target, but we choose to shoot and aim for something else, accidentally missing the mark sometimes. Ryder Smith was a professor of theology in London like 100 years ago, and he wrote about this, this biblical word for sin. And he said that this word requires that the wicked man misses the right mark because he chooses to aim at the wrong one, misses the right path because he deliberately follows a wrong one. There's no question, he writes, of an, an innocent mistake or a simple failure. So those words, regrets and mistakes, that, that might not be strong enough language when we think about sin and our ability to choose the wrong when God invites us to walk in the light. We, we choose sin. We were born into sin. Now, when God created the first man and the first woman, he created them without sin. Adam and Eve were created in perfect relationship with God. He gave them free will, though because he was inviting them into a loving community of Father, Son, and Spirit. And he, he created humanity to join into the divine community of love and, and to choose love. It, love doesn't exist without choice. You have to have freedom because love is always a choice. And so for Adam and Eve, they were given this choice and they, they acted in love and walked with God and were in relationship with him until one day when they chose to miss the mark to walk off the path of life, and sin entered our reality. And, and Paul wrote to his friends in Rome about this in Romans chapter 5. He said, sin entered the world because one man sinned, and death came because of sin. Everyone sinned, so death came to all people. And Paul makes this connection for us between sin and death, that they are interrelated. They, they are connected deeply. That when we walk in sin, we're walking towards death. The results of our sin is, is physical death and spiritual death. And, and God is not okay with this. This is not what he longs for for us. So he created, he had a plan, a way of salvation, a way for us to be forgiven and be transformed and to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. We sometimes talk about the seven deadly sins. Maybe you guys could list those for me. Uh, lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. And uh, you'll never find that list in the Bible. Each of those sins are talked about in different passages, but there's not a place in the Bible where it says, these are the seven deadly sins, and then there's a list. Because every sin is deadly. Every sin is connected to death and leads us away from the life we were created for. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin, the paycheck that we earn when we push away from God is, is death. Death is, is our paycheck. Instead of choosing the way of life that God created us for, we miss the mark. In the Old Testament wisdom book of Proverbs, there's two places where there's this sentence 
And the, 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 the wisest man on earth writes these words, there is a way that seems right to a person, but eventually it ends in death. There's a way that seems right to us, but when we walk in that way, eventually it will lead to our death. Every sin is an attack against the one who created us for life. Every time we push away from God, it's a rebellion against his kingdom and what he's called us to. Years ago, an old academic named Millard Erickson wrote this huge book about theology, about the study of God. I had to read it in college. I had 16 weeks in the semester to read this 800-page book, and it was impossible to do that, at least for me. But there's a whole chapter about sin, and this is one of the things he wrote, Erickson wrote in that book. He said, the sin, this sin is always sin against God, since it is a failure to hit the mark that God has set, his standard of perfect love and perfect obedience to him. We miss this mark and sin against God when, for example, we fail to love one another, since love of others would inevitably follow if we truly love God. I think John wrote about that in the New Testament. If you really love God, then you're going to love your neighbor. Similarly, sinning against one's own body is mistreatment of God's temple and therefore a sin against God, how we use our bodies. This quote from Erickson and the passages from Proverbs, they both point towards a truth, a truth uh, that stands opposed to maybe what we would prefer. You could call it like an inconvenient truth. The Word of God tells us that, that we don't define what sin is. God defines what sin is. I don't get to define what is right and wrong. It's not up for me to search my heart and dig into my subconscious and dance around in my imagination and come up with some list of right things and wrong things that sound good to me. Something is not evil just because it offends me. And something is not beneficial just because it makes me feel good. I don't get to create that. We don't create that list. I mean, I wish that was our reality. I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful, right? Wouldn't that be nice? If, if we could do the things that we like to do and those would be labeled as right, anything that comes to our minds. My heart tells me to do it, so it's got to be good. You know, I kind of, there's times when I wish that was our reality. Of course, if that was true, if right and wrong was defined by my heart, then I'm not sure we'd be able to find seafood in restaurants. I think if I was the one to decide what is right and wrong in this world, there would be some, some rules about crustaceans, some laws against lobster, because I don't know why you want to eat a sea cockroach. That makes no sense to me. Why do we eat this food? I mean, if I was the one in charge, you, you, it would be illegal to put peanut butter on pancakes and avocado on toast, and I'm not sure cats would be a house pet that you could have. I mean, these are the things, you know... Obviously, this is, it's fun. I'm just joking about these things. But just, I mean, imagine for a minute if it was up to you or me to define what is right and what is wrong in this world. If it really fell on our shoulders to do that, how easily it would become twisted, how easily that kind of power and control would become manipulation and suffering because it makes me feel good, but it causes others to suffer and face hardship and pain. The truth is the path to life and the path to death is not laid out or paved by, by human thought and reason. The target that our lives should be moving toward was not established by civilized women and men who, who thought deeply about it and came up with the best way forward. The truth didn't come from human feelings and internal instinct that we somehow carry around with us. The way of life is, is engineered and put into place by Jesus. The word of God made flesh 
the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord of our lives. Jesus is the one who says, here is the way that leads to life. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 8. Speaking to those around him, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me will never walk in darkness. They will have the light that leads to life, the path to life, Jesus says. I'm the one who illuminates that. I know where I come from. I know where I'm going. You don't have any idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. And then I love what he says next. I don't judge anyone, but if I do judge, what I decide is right, Jesus says. This is because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Jesus is the way of life. He illuminates the path that we were created to walk on. We want to live. And Jesus says, here is the way that will move you towards life and draw us out of darkness and death and disconnection. And instead, we will experience intimacy with our creator and closeness in our community. This is the path of life. Jesus also said a little, little bit later on in John, he said, I am the way. You want to know how you're supposed to walk in this life? He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And then he says, no one experience connection with their creator God except through me. When we ask what is right, what is wrong, when we say, what should I do? What should I not do? What's good for me? What's bad for me? The answer is never, what do I feel like in my heart? It's never the answer. What do I think would be the best thing to do? That's what our culture tells us. That's what we want to believe sometimes. But scripture makes it clear that we're not the ones that create the, the path of life that was created for us. We grow in our ability to act and think and say things that bring life when we grow in our ability to be like Jesus, when we grow in our understanding of who he was and how he spoke and what he did. And he says, I will shine the light on the way that you should walk in this life, in this world. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Being created in the image of God means that we are created for life, not death. We were built for community, not isolation. We were put together for love, not selfishness. We were made for joy, not hopelessness. And this is the, the third Sunday in January, and for many churches around our community, this is Sanctity of Life Sunday. It's a Sunday where we talk about the sanctity of all life, that every life is made in the image of God. To those that are still developing inside of their mothers, to the senior adults that are confined to a hospital bed, and everything in between, all life is sacred and made by God and for his glory and his good. And, and this is a Sunday where we remember that and celebrate that. I want you to think about that for a moment, how we are all made in the image of God. And I, I want you to watch a short little video that talks about the beauty of each person that you encounter. So, so watch this with me. We are God's image bearers, reflecting him on this earth. We are all God's image bearers, created in his likeness to worship him. Our neighbor bears his image, even when we can't detect a single attribute. Every child bears his image, even when they have no knowledge of him. Yes, his mercy is offered to the ones we don't relate to, though we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We are justified freely through Christ's sacrifice if we accept it. 
Even so, we each remain image bearers of the living God, whether now redeemed or still lost. Because the one who gives life, who breathes it into us, who is life itself, created every one of us. So we must preserve it, even though we don't always understand. Even when their life looks different than ours, this is the life that God cares for. This is the life that God asks us to guard. It is fragile, needy, messy, and vulnerable, but it has been made beautiful from dust glimmering in his eyes like starlight. We are charged with cultivating all of it. So in humble gratitude for our own life, we honor God, share the good news, and preserve life, all life, for there are no ordinary, outcast, unimportant people, not unlike us when we were found. There are only His image bearers. I love that line that we preserve all life. There are no ordinary, unimportant people. There are only His image bearers. That's so good for us to hear this morning that you will never encounter someone who is not bearing the image of God, whether they realize that or not. Every person who lives in your neighborhood, every individual in the LGBTQ plus community is valued and made in God's image. If we believe that about ourselves and then by the power of the Spirit of God would allow our hearts to see others that way, can you imagine the revolution that could happen in our families and in our neighborhood and in our church and in our places of work and in our schools if we would honor the value of every person? Our new world, the world of our interior lives would be transformed. We've looked at a lot of scripture this morning, but I want to go to one more passage that I want you to read with me and look at with me uh, that talks about the way of life versus the way of, of death. And it's found in Galatians chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd invite you to open it up to Galatians chapter 5. Or if you've got your Bible app on your phone, uh, just flip open uh, to Galatians 5 verse 13. We're going to read what Paul writes here about the way of life that we're created for. Galatians is a letter that Paul wrote to a, a group of churches in, in an area of the ancient world called Galatia. Today we call it Turkey, but he wrote to six or seven churches in Galatia that he had started and he was aware of. And uh, he was a little heated when he wrote the letter because they had begun to say that knowing Jesus and being forgiven by Jesus was not enough to be saved, that there were other religious things you had to do. Some people in the church started saying, we got to add in some other religious activity, and, and Paul was saying that is not what the gospel is all about. And you ever watch something online or some social media or news article that kind of gets you stirred up a little bit, gets you kind of, you know, irritated? Paul was like, we got we to talk about this because you're missing what God created you for. And he begins to talk about the difference between the sinful nature and walking in life in the spirit. You know, that our behavior, what we do on the outside is not what saves us, but it does matter. We want to walk as the Spirit calls us to walk. So look, look at Galatians 5, and we're going to start in verse 13. And we're going to go through several verses of this letter together. Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, you are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. 
Paul says, don't use your freedom to sin. And what does it mean to sin? For Paul, he says, it's when you destroy each other, when you attack each other and bite at each other. And he said, instead of doing that, the way of life looks like this. It's, it's when you love your neighbor as you love yourself. From Leviticus 19, Paul says, this is, you could sum it all up in that phrase. And Paul's not the only one who said that. Somebody else said that we could sum it up. Who else said that? That's right, Jesus. Always the right answer, Jesus. He said, you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. That sums up the law. So he goes on to talk about this battle going on inside of us. Verse 16, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul says there's a battle going on. But it's not a cultural battle. It's not a fight uh, us versus them. It is an internal struggle we have. We want to walk in the Spirit, and yet our flesh gets in the way and trips us up. When you and I walk on the path that leads toward death, when we don't want to walk on that path, it's because of this battle that Paul is writing about, this struggle. And then he gets specific, and he says, well, what do I mean by the flesh. What are the, the deeds of the flesh, the things that we get hooked by? And so in verse 19, he says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, which is an interesting adjective. They're obvious. He says, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. He says, when you create little subcategories and say, well, those people are there and these people over here, they vote this way and I vote that way. They look that way and I look like this way. When we make those little factions, he says, that's sin. Verse 21, and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul often would put these little lists into his letters. I think he likes these lists. And he starts this one off. The first thing he says is sexual immorality, the acts of the sinful nature. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But when you and I engage in these behaviors, we're actively walking away from the life that God created us for. We're moving away from our good, faithful, loving God and his movement in the world today. And this is a real danger, the real danger of sin, that if we live and die in our sin, if we do not experience the forgiveness of Jesus and surrender our lives to the one who saved us on the cross, then we will enter into eternity separated from God, which is a terrible reality. But sin does more than just affect us after death. If we live in sin today, if we daily choose to act and speak and think in ways that deny God's calling over, on our, over our life, then we miss out uh, on the life he created us for. We miss out on the kingdom. We walk in darkness today and tomorrow, and we, we we're separated from the beauty and the wonder of life in the spirit right now. Our lives were made for God, and, and sin breaks that life apart and creates hardship and hurt that, that God would save us from. We don't always experience it right now, and that's one of the challenges of sin is sometimes it feels like we got away with it, you know, like we kind of dabble in sin a little bit, and then nobody finds out, and we're like, well, maybe it's not that big a deal. Maybe it's not that bad. I mean, I'm, I'm still here. I didn't die physically, and God says, but the effects of sin, you might not see them, but they are there. They are real. We don't experience that consequence of death immediately, but Sometimes we take that as proof, like it's not a big deal. And Paul is saying to us, I want to warn you about this. 
Life outside the kingdom, he says, is a lesser life. You're settling for something lesser than you were made for. He says, I want you to live in the kingdom. And what does that mean? And so Paul, verse 22, he starts to get into it. So here's what the kingdom looks like. Here's the life that you were created for. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, when we walk with the Spirit, when we walk in life, he says, it's, it's love. It's joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. He says, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The kingdom looks like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things we are created for. If we're honest for a moment, sometimes if we were to compare those two lists, we, we kind of feel maybe the, a little bit more of the tension. If you were to say, well, you can have parties or you can have peace. You can have sex or you can have self-control. You can have getting ahead or getting kind. You can experience drunkenness or decency. And sometimes, and maybe our weaker moments, we think, well, that first list sounds like more fun, you know, than that second list. That's the deception. That's the, the twist that we get that hooks us. Aren't, aren't the social pressures around us to embrace and to live into things that can trap you and addict you and obsess you? It's the lie that we fall for, this fake truth that we embrace, that, that the momentary pleasures of this life will somehow fulfill and bring us towards the life that we long for. These things we chase after, that somehow they'll help us find the love and the belonging that we really desire in our heart of hearts. That somehow we know better than God. That this world would just be more fun if we could do it our way. We don't see clearly, we don't understand how lost we are. Dallas Willard's a philosopher, probably one of the best ones of the last 50 years. He once wrote about this. He said, the pride, the blind pride of putting oneself at the center of the universe, that's the hinge upon which the entire world of the ruined self turns. When we are lost to God, we are lost to ourselves. You won't know yourself until you know who God created you to be. You won't know your identity you won't know how you're supposed to identify in this world until you allow God to identify you and speak truth over you and call you by your name. We're lost because we listen to ourselves and we listen to one who wants us walking on the road towards death. Jesus said, there is a thief who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus said, but I've come that you, that they may have life and have it to the fullest. Jesus came to give you life. And there is a thief, a deceiver who wants you to walk towards death. And it's a battle. It's a battle that we fight. Paul, Jesus says, don't listen to that thief. Listen to the one who loves you and puts you together. March in step with the Spirit of God. During this series, we're talking about sexuality, that first one on the list that Paul writes about, how we're created for intimacy with each other and with God. And, and we know that we live out our sexuality in broken ways. Some scholars believe about six years after Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, he wrote a letter to another town across the Aegean Sea, the town of Corinth. And we have two letters in the, in the Bible that he wrote to, to the Corinthians, those that lived in Corinth. 
And they were surrounded by people who were sexually confused, who didn't understand how this, was, this gift that God created was supposed to be deployed in their lives. And so Paul wrote to the church there and, and called them to walk towards life. In 1 Corinthians 6, he wrote these words, run from sexual sin. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you at a high price. So you must honor God with your body. See, in, in the church in Corinth, there was a number of people that were sleeping around. There was a man who was living with his stepmother. There were Christians who were part of the church that were still going to the old temples and worship centers of Corinth, worshiping fake gods. And that included uh, temple prostitution, where they would sleep with prostitutes as part of their worship. And Paul was saying, this is all outside of God's design. It is immoral and not the way you should operate. And Paul was really upset, though, that the church just stood there and said, well, I mean, that's kind of our culture. That's just the way we operate here. That Christians stood and said, well, I mean, come on, it's not that big of a deal. Most of the people around us are living this way. And so Paul says, don't you realize that your body is, is a temple, that the Spirit of God resides in you. You carry it around in your physical body. You're not your own. You can't do whatever you want to do with your bodies because your bodies matter to God and you have surrendered to him. God created sex to be this beautiful and essential uh, ingredient to marriage, but sexual sin, sex outside the marriage relationship, it always hurts someone because it's outside of God's design. It's, it's moving off the path of life and moving towards death and separation. Whenever we engage in sexuality outside of what God calls us to, when we study pornography, when we lust after others who we're not married to, when we engage in sexual activity without standing before God and making a covenant promise to the other, Scripture says that is sexual immorality and it breaks the design that God has for sex, this, this way of life that he created us for. Even when our hearts say, you know what, I need this, I long for this, it's just too difficult, this is part of who I am. Even when our hearts tell us a different story, we say, you know what, I don't define what a sin is, God has. And he says, I want you to walk towards life. And so we choose to surrender and walk in a way that honors God. Next week, we're going to move from 1 Corinthians 6 into 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul writes about marriage and singleness and our, our sexuality. And again, we are all broken in how we pursue intimacy. I am, you are, everyone watching online, we're all broken in how we connect with others and, and understand our sexuality. We need to grow in this. If we would surrender to Jesus and acknowledge our sin, and as Dallas Willard said, understand that we so often put ourselves in the center of the universe when that is where God is. If we could understand that and, and ask God to transform us, there is hope that we might live in a different way, that we might be healed. There is hope that we can walk towards life. And it begins by confessing that we don't decide what sin is and that we have broken relationship with God because of our choices, because of our words, because of what we think about. We need to confess our sin. So as we finish up together this morning, I want to take some time and invite us to confess together our sin before God, to take some moments to individually just sit with God and talk to him about our need to be transformed.
to acknowledge our sin and our brokenness. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to say a, a prayer with me, a prayer of confession. And then our, our prayer volunteers will be up front. And as we go into two or three minutes of just silence or solitude for you to consider and talk with God, I just want to invite you to think about how you might respond in those moments. You might want to come up and invite one of our volunteers to pray with you. Just talk with them and, and ask them to pray over you. You might want to come up and, and kneel on the steps here before the cross or maybe even just kneel where you are or open your hands towards heaven and invite God to, to remove the sin in your life as you confess it to him. But we need to take time to acknowledge the ways we walk away from God and ask him to help us turn around and walk towards life again. So I want to invite you to stand with me right now, if you would. And we're going to read together these words that will be on the screen. And uh, this is our prayer of confession. So would you say these words with me? We are sorry, God. Hear our honest apology for the sinful way we handle life. We have wasted time and hoarded money, loved comfort, and used others. We have rushed decisions, run from responsibility, and settled for illness. We have doubted your care, distorted your power, and ignored your love. We have injured our relationships, attacked our neighbor, and underrated your forgiveness. Forgive us now, we pray, and let us try again, walking in step with your spirit and committed to living out your will. Amen. I want to invite our prayer volunteers to come up this time. Every Sunday, there are those up front that would love to pray with you and encourage you. And as they come up front, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and sit down. We're going to take a couple minutes to sit and confess and invite the Spirit of God to speak to us. And again, what posture do you want to take during this time? You can come up front. You can come and pray with another. You can sit in your seat. You can open your hands. But let's take time and confess to God right now. I invite you to stand with me if you would. As those surrendered to Jesus, when you place your life into Jesus, you become a child of God, adopted into his family. You are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. You are forgiven and invited to walk in life. As you go this morning, go bringing life to those you encounter, bringing hope to the hopeless and joy to those who suffer. Be the light of the world. We'll see you next Sunday. Go with God. Amen.